Highlights. This is Todd Atkins, and I'm back with another episode of the MMA Conspiracy Hour. And this is kind of a controversial title, which is, Is the UFC Fixing Fights? And what myself and Miguel were talking about in this episode was uh, the 10-8 round, the last round in the Valentina Shevchenko versus Alexa Grasso rematch fight at UFC Noche, Mexican Independence Day. And, uh, you know, obviously that 10-8 round was pretty convenient for the UFC in terms of keeping the belt on Grasso on that particular show, a Mexican-themed show. And also, you know, Miguel brought up a good point about the UFC making a belt, you know, for Grasso. I know they did that also for uh, um, Brandon Moreno. But, uh, you know, with just everything around, like, they hadn't made a belt for Shevchenko for that fight, you know, for example. So it was kind of a... These decisions, as well as the... Another one we alluded to is the O'Malley um, Peter Yan decision, where that a lot of people didn't feel O'Malley won that fight. Some people did, and uh, but it did benefit them, and ultimately it helped push O'Malley up into a title shot. You know, along the way he had to fight some other fights, but kind of helped him rise up to a title shot, and then he won the title. So these decisions are beneficial to the UFC. And they never really hold these judges accountable, nor are they ever held accountable for these decisions that uh, do benefit them as a promotion. So it's kind of an ideal situation. The referees or the judges take all the blame. The UFC takes none. The UFC doesn't punish them. And then they do it all over again. These judges come back and judge other fights. So uh, I thought it was an interesting discussion. Uh, As always, Miguel has... A lot of good insight into these things from his background. And, uh, yeah, I want you guys to take a listen to it and see what you think. This is uh, the MMA Conspiracy Hour. Is the UFC fixing fights? And as always, check out my sponsor, Live to Fight Design. You can find them on Instagram at live, the number two, fight design, all one word. And they make fight banners and gym banners. And if you use my promo code, which is my name, Todd Atkins, you can get $20 off an order for one of those. So as always, check them out. And I appreciate the support. Anyone listening, thank you very much. All right, this is Todd Atkins and Miguel Adorade, and we're back with another MMA Conspiracy Hour. And uh, before I start, we always want to thank our uh, sponsor, Live to Fight Design. You can find them on Instagram at Live to Fight Design. And if you use my promo code Todd Atkins, you get $20 off your order. And we're going to kind of talk about UFC's decisions where I think they're having some influence on, on some of the decisions. You know, I know I had titled this as the UFC fixing fights. I don't think they're necessarily fixing fights at the beginning or telling fighters to do certain things, but. Are they having influence on decisions? And I kind of referenced Sean O'Malley and the latest one being this Alexa Grasso, Valentina Shevchenko fight where they had a 10-8 in the final round. No one on earth really agreed with that kept the belt on Grasso during a Mexican-themed, the first Mexican-themed UFC event. So it's kind of a uh, convenient timing pull something like that out. Miguel, why don't you go ahead? Well, you know, the system that we use right now, the commission-based system, and then, you know, in other countries, they they use derivatives of it and stuff. But the bottom line is, is that it comes from boxing. The box is the boxing system, the paperwork, the commissions, everything. And judging in boxing sucks. So now... When the boxing commissions in the 2001 were convinced by the Fertitas and Dana White to accept MMA, I think one of the things that happened is that they kept it real simple for them, which is, you know, boxing has a fighter and an opponent. MMA has a fighter and an opponent. Boxing has a matchmaker. MMA has a matchmaker. Boxing has a promoter, a promoter, a referee, you know. So they convinced them that 
the positions could be interchangeable. With that, obviously, now you can charge licenses, separate licenses for everything, and there's some money coming in as well, which appeals to the commission. But in no case did the commissions do an authentic real study of deciding to employ judges that had an inkling or a clue of the sport. They inserted almost across the board all the time, you know, boxing judges, people that had the credentials already. Other people have snuck in there. But boxing judging sucks. So now that when in a lot of places you have boxing judges, you know, that's a problem. It's a real problem because you just you have people who get to the boxing position, like what was the guy's name with the uh the, the guy who thought he was a genius and, and he'd been a, 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 a judge for a long time, but then he got kind of caught. What was that fellow's name? He's Chael's friend. Oh, the oh name Doug Crosby? Ask. Yeah, Doug Crosby. So Doug Crosby clearly was there with all other motives in mind. So now here's, here's the problem is you don't have to get everybody in a room to have like-minded people, people with the same thing uh, in mind that can operate without having to do an authentic conspiracy of like, all right, this is the way it's going to go. But if at the end of the day, all you care about is money, then I believe probably Grasso does move the needle more than Shevchenko. And Dana has subtle ways of sending that message out. And the, the problem is, is is Dana trying to send a message or is he just, you know, kind of doing business as usual? But I thought it was strange that they had some Mexican uh, belt maker making a very special belt, you know. Hey, Shevchenko, I guess, could have worn it, but it, it was, you know, Mexican colors and it was done by Mexico and it was kind of to celebrate Grasso. And that, that was the name that Dana used in the, uh, in, in the uh, you know, video press release that they did on that. Why do that press release? You know, is it that important that a new belt has been designed? Yeah, you know, Dana with his 8 million followers may be doing a, a favor, a solid for the artist, you know. Sure, I, I'll do a video with you. That's, you know, a lot of people were killed to get it shared by Dana. But why is he doing that stuff in the first place? You know, why, what is he, what, what are we going to, how, how often are we going to go back to a Mexican belt maker for belts? Is he going to be the new UFC belt maker? Okay, that's cool too. But was it, a, was it a message for people out there to be like, yeah, you know, everything looks good for Grasso. And then, you know, what were the credentials of this judge that gave it a 10-8? One of the things, like, for example, Adelaide Bird with all of her historically bad decisions in boxing and MMA, she never has had to face the music and the press and answer, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, it's always that way. This guy's not going to have to answer anything either. They said, oh, we're going to have 10-8 training. Big deal. They take the blame, but they don't have to face anybody. And then the UFC just brings these people back. Yeah, the UFC, like I said, uh, the 10-8 training if it's done by the UFC, that's fine. But, you know, the boxing commission is going to have to sign off on that. And, the you know, they're going to have to be okay with that. And it's still going to be the, the core of the problem. I just saw recently, and I'm going to, the name's going to escape me, but I just saw today that there's a fighter with a history that's about to make his debut as a judge or a referee or something in uh, one of the bigger boxing commissions out there. Where are these people? I know Ricardo Almeida does it. He, he spent time judging. I know Tyrone Roberts, another old-time veteran, is uh, heavily involved in a lot of the Midwest boxing commissions. But I don't see enough fighters that are actually saying, look, you know, refereeing like Tyrone does is, is special. You know, not everybody can jump in and be a ref. But pretty much every MMA fighter should have a good perspective enough to, to sit and judge Better than the judges that we have here. Like Adelaide Bird, I've, I've said this before, but when she was a boxing judge, people question her judge, judge, boxing credentials. And her boxing credentials are that she's married to a referee. So if she doesn't know boxing, 
what makes you think she's going to adapt and, you know, figure out the MMA game real fast? You know, I know she didn't sit around and be like, you know, watch the video. Okay. And she didn't go, you know, rewind that, you know. So explain to me what Hoist did to Severn there, like at UFC 4. That didn't happen. She doesn't know. And then she she made no attempt to educate herself. And I can say that just about across the board for most judges. Now, again, I, I go to the corruption in the whole system. We've been talking about boxing being part of the problem. The referee for Floyd Mayweather's first fight was the same as the referee for his last fight. Now, I'm not talking about all this series of exhibitions and stuff. And what's ridiculous about that is because at the at the point where, you know, Floyd is, is was at the end of his career, there is no doubt that in Vegas, where most of the fights were, or if not all of them at the end of his career, in Vegas, where he's a resident and everybody's there, everybody, when Floyd Mayweather fought, Everybody at the casino made more money. There was more tip money for the people that clean the rooms because it's such a big event, you know, those fights and the, and the heat that they generate and the money that came in. It's pretty well known that the judges and the ref are supposed, you know, in the, in the boxing committee in paperwork, they're supposed to make a couple hundred bucks depending on how much they travel and, you know, like per diem type money so they can get their food and stuff while they go to judge. It's not something where they should be pocketing money. But when Floyd Mayweather fights, the ref gets, you know, I'm going to guess 25000 bucks in an envelope. Even if it's 5000 But that's the... So what incentive does that ref have to judge it completely by the book and not feel like, man, that Mayweather, he's so good. You know, because, you know, you know, if he loses, that gravy train comes to an end. And not everybody can judge. If it's 25 or 5, you can guarantee even most other title fights. Canelo, you know, the big, big ones, those are coveted spots. The refs are, are selected based on that sort of stuff. Who deserves the money? Who deserves the tip money? Not on who's the best credentialed ref or, or judge and stuff like that. Yeah, but I think this is important for people to understand because I said this before. If I screw up all the time and I take the blame and you don't, you're the promoter, you don't, you keep bringing me back. That's pretty convenient for you, is it not? Yeah, you're, you, know, you don't take any of the blame. I do what you want. I, I do what you want multiple times. You take none of the blame for it. You never punish me for it because I'm doing what you want. That's pretty convenient. Yeah, so where where did Shevchenko and uh, Grasso fight? Where, where was the fight situated? Vegas. In Vegas. Okay. And, uh, you know, like I said, uh, it's unlikely the UFC is going to go to Peru where Shevchenko has ties. They're certainly not going to the Ukraine or Russia. Anytime he soon. asked for them to go to Kazakhstan to have the rematch. Yeah. And uh, good luck there. You know, I, I don't even know if um, yeah, Kazakhstan's a separate country at this point. It was at one point part of the Soviet Union. But I'm not sure what the world's geopolitical situation at the UFC or anybody's going to be doing a show there. Meanwhile, Mexico is a monster. It was an economic monster. Many people are referring to it as like the next China, the new China. So why not? The, the, the message is subtly sent. And yeah, everybody benefits from financially from Mexico. So that's why the, the part of sport slowly gets taken out of it because if money is all you care about, that's when you know you get things like Conor McGregor jumping Frankie Edgar in line for a title shot. I don't think the UFC should be absolved of any responsibility here. I think it falls on them. The, these these decisions are benefiting them. Yeah, yeah. And I think the solution is in changing the, the entire boxing commission structure. And that is actually a move that is bigger than the UFC. The UFC 
could ask to initiate it, could even fund it, could help if they wanted to pursue it. But they couldn't just pull the trigger on change a wholesale change to the boxing commissions on their own. They need to, and and, and therefore they. I don't think they want to pursue that. Who cares? Who cares at this point? Like you said, they get away with things because, in some ways, they can absolve themselves and say, "Hey, we don't pick the judges and stuff like that." And yeah, they do have some leeway about eliminating judges and things. But don't think that sometimes they're not politics, you know, and. You know, Dana, I wonder, it's been a while since Dana annihilated a, a ref or a judge the way he used to. Like, I mean, he still is, is sharp-tongued and everything, but not the way he used to. He used to eviscerate people. And, you know, now he just, it is what it is, is usually what you get from him. And it's an interesting situation, but that's what it is. Like, you don't have, I don't think you have to get everybody involved in the room and everybody goes, here's the script. I think the messages are clearly said who who they want, um, you know, by who where the money goes to promote, where they're putting the star power type of promotion, and it goes from there. Some you know a judge who's constantly picking the, that you know according that way is likely to pass the little. How how much vetting are they really doing of these judges and that? So. Yeah, he said the guy should be investigated. Well, that's nice to say. Who's going to do it? You're not. So who yeah. cares? It's also the Las Vegas Boxing Commission. And in Vegas, the thing about it, the thing that's criminal to me is that Vegas is a fully funded boxing commission. You have a state there that gambles. They're part, they are part of the system of the ATF. They answer the lieutenant governor. They haven't changed the structure since, you know, the years. But the basics of it is, the lieutenant governor also has some police authority, like I said, the ATF. And that's how they will shut your fight down if you're not sanctioned by the Boxing Commission. They know who to call. It's all in the same tree of uh, authority. And that's why that's the big structure. So when Conor McGregor screws up or any fighter screws up, Nick Diaz, for example, and they take 20% of his purse, what they do in Nevada is they take the 20% and now it goes in a pool for the uh, whims of whatever else is going on. So, for example, Conor McGregor's or anybody's fine money could perfectly well go to find uh, to fund the uh, the ATF's Christmas party that year instead of putting it towards drug testing or you know anything legitimately that helps the fight. It all goes into a common pool. Mm -hmm. So you and. and it, it, if I'm incorrect about any of those details, then it's changed a little bit or or whatever, but it's very much I'm I'm not far off. I'm not far off. I understand the way that stuff works. So so be it. Now I'm gonna go over some news stories with you because I sent you a few. Never kind of talked about this, but I want you know, I sent you a few. The first one I want to talk about was the Mark Hunt thing. You know, obviously he just lost his lawsuit over Brock Lesnar and steroids and whatnot. What did you think of that? We need Bob Maisie back on here. What? So what was what what? Why did they decide they pushed it all towards? Uh, explain to me. Explain to the fans and me, me again one more time what the exact court decision was. They just threw out the charges. Yeah, the, the judge felt that he didn't present enough evidence to warrant, you know, them moving forward. Okay. I don't, this is a long time ago, but I seem to remember that some entity, I don't know if it was USADA or one of the athletic commissions that does drug testing, but some entity had Brock Lesnar positive before the fight. And they chose to not put that in public to a certain extent. It got, you know, it got kind of brushed over. And at the end of the day, despite the positive test, the fight happened. Hunt, I think, you know, rightfully so, says, so you guys, you know, so we were aware of that, but we did everything we could just to make the fight happen again for money. The same problem as the first segment. Again, for money. You, you put me at risk because, you know, 
as an athlete, we're out there competing. It's dangerous enough. I don't need to be fighting a guy that big on steroids. I think most people would, uh, you know, anybody who calls Hunt a coward or anything like that is, is way off on that. You know, at the, at, at the end of the day, Hunt is only asking that they follow the rules. So I think there was a pretty clear trail there that something fishy had happened and that Brock was positive and despite the positive test that he fought. Now, if the judge, you, you know, I don't know if Hunt's people couldn't find proof of that. Well, he was trying to prove, Hunt was trying to prove fraud battery, battery aiding and abetting battery and civil conspiracy claims. But the judge granted the defendant's motion for summary judgment on all of those claims, meaning that the case was dismissed because Hunt really didn't suffer any kind of serious damages in the fight. Yeah, I I, I don't know. Those are not the. I don't know. Those are you know battery and stuff like that. Was he pursuing them criminally? This doesn't even sound like. Like he needed a good civil a civil lawsuit attacking them and asking them for a big payment for the risk he 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 uh yeah I guess know, that's he, what he was asking you know like Lesnar defeated him but he was later suspended for one year by the by the commission after he tested positive for banned substances but yeah. the, the test the positive test was also revealed at some point yeah to have been dated before the date of the fight so they knew before yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, I don't know, I don't, you know, have a following of this case in detail and things like that. But I, Hunt looks like he may have pursued, um, you know, the the most, uh, you know, ugly and, you know, like battery charges is almost like yeah, you know, they, I, I think he was trying to make a spectacle and didn't think about this. I think, like I said, a civil lawsuit pursuing just those facts that we've talked about, that those that paperwork should be easy enough to subpoena and then you know. So I don't know I don't know if that was just bad legal advice or if the UFC lawyers painted him into a corner um, or, or what the deal is. But uh, that was, that's strange to me, his uh, charge, the charges he pursued. Now I want to ask you about this news, the PFL on a weekend where there's no UFC events, has not been able to get a live stream for the U.S. for their PFL Paris event. Are you asking me to do everything for Don Davis? It's like at this point, what do we got? We got two days. Call Donald Trump or go to Rumble. Isn't that Donald Trump's media thing? Stream it there and let the people see it. It's not that hard to stream, you know. You put, you got the TV feed going to Europe. You put a little computer there with a nerd, and you stream it on the Rumble and let the people in the state see it. Two days before, you can't solve this problem, and you're going to just say, "Sorry, we kind of didn't didn't get the deal done. We have no streaming. It's not available. You can't see the PFL." So the P, <laughs> so we can't see the PFL. Yeah, why can't they just have somebody like Ama? video camera at the big screen on like TikTok or something. I mean aim a aim their phone. <clears throat> so people can watch it there. Who cares? That's the thing is is that it's just it's just a poor marketing and PR decision to just say we have a fight show that you're not going to be able to see. And they, and here they are talking about international expansion and they have you know Francis Ngannou's on the board to talk about Africa and stuff like that and like you said they could run free of UFC competition in the United States this weekend and they choose to, to they choose to give up on showing it a couple of days before and do this press release so it's really it's really easy to see why Dana is you know the PFL isn't even it's so far down the stratosphere that Dana really hasn't even shown some concern. Even the Nganu thing, which you know may have been a little speed bump for Dana, um, 
you know, as we're we're coming up on Stipe and and John Jones, and you know, he's got his guy still. So I'm sure he doesn't think about Ngannou anymore. But you know, even with Ngannou, they, they seem to have dropped the ball so badly that Dana's probably just laughing. Yeah, and this is where they're debuting uh, Cedric Dumbe. You know, is a big signing for them. You know, and the yeah. lazy king, a French kickboxer, like kickboxing. You know. From the, from the early days of the UFC, you know, kickboxers came over, but, you know, you got older kickboxers and things like, you know, it's a, it's a weird sport because it doesn't really have a huge following in the States. And at the heyday of K1, when you had all those immense fights and things like that, they haven't gotten back to that pinnacle yet. So it's a regional signing and they got the TV. I guess they're going to show it in France where he's from. Right. I guess the French will get to see it. So if you've got a French friend, call him up and ask him to hold his phone up to his TV and we'll do Don Davis's job for him. Now talk about your theory where you experienced in Bodog. Well, it's interesting because like I said, at this point, the PFL, the black guy we're talking about is that it's a few days before the event and they've sort of given up. Like, there's no way they can get it done. And yeah, there's no way they're going to show it on Channel 4 or on a big network or even a cable channel, um, you know, on a couple of days' notice. But they can find a way to, to, to let the fans, the 18 fans out there craving PFL to see the fights in the States because then their 18 is going to be 15. But how does this happen in the first place? Is it This is one of two things. Either the executive or the person in charge of this deal in the PFL dropped the ball. Like, oh, you can get it done. I'm sorry. You know what I mean? And that's possible. Uh, when I was with Bodog, we woke up one day, and from one day to the next, the Bodog.com websites were gone, seized by the United States government. And it was down to a an accountant that forgot to make the payment to uh, pay for the URLs. And as soon as we stopped owning them, the government was ready, poised and swept in. And then after that, you can look this up. They went and launched all the websites again under Bodog Life. That was an internal mistake, I think. And that could be what the PFL is dealing with here. Some dummy fell asleep at the wheel. And now the American public is not going to see a fight show of theirs. Or, you know, didn't schedule or whatever. Now, the other thing, also at Bodog, was we were trying our second pay-per-view. And um, we're making calls to the executives at the team, at the uh, uh, pay-per-view to try, you know, to get the people that we dealt with for our first pay-per-view. And we're not getting calls back. Gone. And at some point, we heard through the grapevine that that person was now a UFC employee. So you have one, one or two choices. Either somebody ran some interference and messed up their deal, or somebody inside dropped the ball and messed up their deal. Despite those problems, I, I'm not... Uh, now that you have those problems, you find a solution. At the end of the day, we did get our pay-per-view on. And at the end of the day, they should be showing this to the Americans, making it available to Americans that want to see it. I, again, how many can there possibly be that are dying for this show in the PFL? But you run the risk of, of you know hurting those couple of dozen people or whatever it is. That's true. Probably not a lot. If you have 50 fans and you lose 20 of them, that's brutal. And the PFL is at risk of that in my book. Now, I took some heat for criticizing this uh, commentator, you know, who commentates uh, some of these, uh, you know, uh, what do they call these? Like, uh, Regional MMA shows, you know, Ben the Bane Davis. I sent you some video on this. And he fought Anderson Silva's son, or one of them, uh, Gabe uh, Gabe Silva, in this Misfits card. 
And I was kind of talking to you about his stick as he goes up against guys that are light years better than him. And not only does that, he doesn't really train for these matches, so he's getting beat in record time, you know, 25 seconds, 13 seconds. I think this fight was like 25 seconds or something. And to me, uh, yeah, I criticize him because, one, he's not preparing for these matches, which is bad enough, but, you know, going out there and getting knocked out and thinking it's funny and other people cheering him on, it just doesn't appeal to me. And, you know, especially us as old school guys that were on the beginning, a lot of guys, it probably would have rubbed them the wrong way. You know, people that competed, people that trained. You know, even if you tried to teach people and you, you know, weren't of a high level skill, people didn't like you. So, yeah, I just, I kind of wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about that. This whole wave that we're experiencing in the last few years of, you know, uh, non-athletes thinking that you're even athletes, you know. Uh, I forget the guy's last name, Nate, from the, uh, he was a former Nick, a little guy, but he was a slam dunk champion. I think he's the first guy who fought Jake Paul. Mm -hmm. um, Nate Robinson. Yeah, Nate Robinson. It, it makes a mockery of the people boxing, you know, on weekends in the Golden Gloves when they're 15, 14, you know, coming up the ranks, hoping to get on the Olympic ladder, at some point making a decision to go pro, and all the dues paying that real guys do. We're about to see Canelo and Jermel Charlo this weekend. And, you know, Canelo started boxing professionally when he was 15. According to the laws of Mexico, he could do it. And, you know, obviously he was practicing before his first fight, right? So he's been doing it since he was a boy. The Charlos, too, have, you know, they're twins and boxing is their life. So I think that the people that, you know, pay their dues in this sport should be in an uproar over the money and the distribution here. And the fact is, again, tie it back to the first segment, the boxing commissions are allowing this to happen again for the almighty dollar. And that trumps all. We can't not do this fight because it's going to generate $5 million. I don't think Ben Davis is generating that, but for me, it's just, you know, people cheering on some guy who, who is not ready to be, you know, in, in the ring or on a mat where he got he got heel hooked in 13 seconds by a black belt. You know, this guy's going to get hurt. If he had any toughness at all, he probably would have got hurt the other night. Thank goodness he if didn't he... have much of a chin and the guy got knocked out quick. Well, if it's not generating $5 million, then, you know, it's still making some money for the Boxing Commission. And the problem with the Boxing Commission is that at the end of the day, those, you know, shows and smokers, you know, on weekends in, you know, veteran halls, don't generate a lot of money. They go home, the guys go home with, you know, 50 bucks for gas and, you know, the experience of having watched the fights, you know, been a, a ref, a judge, the commissioners in the back, everybody, there's no money there. So, they, you know, they get they do it for, for little. They, they do it for the fees they charge the boxers and the managers and things. So they can be very petty when it comes down to what they consider making money. Somebody approved, in the case of Ben Davis, Somebody approved a non-boxer and non-athlete to participate in a boxing match. Who did that? Yeah, it was Misfits, you know, this influencer boxing show in, in London or whatever. Oh, it was in London? Yeah, so, I think so, yeah. So was it under the auspices of the British Boxing Board of Control? I, I would think so. Then that the, the British Boxing Board of Control... And the uh, especially if they're involved in MMA, I guess they may have an MMA commission that's separate. So this, is, this was pure boxing, so it would be the British Boxing Board control. Again, it's just 
let's do a commission. We can charge money. And they're not understanding the sports that they're governing. I think you bringing up Canelo is a good point because Jake Paul challenged him. He could have easily gone over there and beat the crap out of him easily and made good money, and he didn't. Why? Because Jake Paul has no business fighting him, and he, he's not going to waste his time doing it. Even though he could make good money, it would be the easiest payday of his life. He's not going to lower himself to go over there and beat up Jake Paul, waste his time doing it, because he he's paid his dues and Jake Paul hasn't. And he doesn't deserve. Jake Paul doesn't deserve to fight Canelo. And that's why he's not going to go over there and do it. Well, I'll tell you another caveat to that. And this is the problem, again, with the whole sport and the whole situation here. Thank God Canelo has already monetized big time. Like with his golden, even from the golden boy days, I know that maybe even Oscar broke up and stuff. There was problems there. But he replaced Mayweather as the top draw in boxing as soon as Mayweather left. And Golden Boy was perfectly positioning him for a long time. And they monetized to the tune of, you know, he's extremely wealthy, nine figures wealthy. So he doesn't need the money. And we're lucky that he's not a guy who's still being like, hey, where's my paycheck? Because that's what happened with a guy like, say, Francis Ngannou. If people are looking around being like, what, you know, when am I going to get paid? And they're, the time, and they're offered something like that, you can understand why they would do it. So we're, we're lucky in Canelo's case, but it's still a grave risk because, yeah, the guy, Jake Paul understands and his entity understands, you know, monetizing, getting you on TV, getting the fight distributed. And then they also have good command of, uh, you know, the press, the, the relationship with the press and the media where they're out there all the time and things like that. The only part is, is that they haven't paid their dues in boxing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they understand the other stuff, and then they they say, "Yeah, we are, we are here, um, you know, to fix boxing and and to pay people better and stuff like that." Then why does Jake Paul have to be the star of the fight? Why not just put all that power and sit back as a promoter? And Jake Paul, I've heard him. You know, he he can. Turn a, a a word, you know. Why not settle back into the Dana role? If it's about making money, Dana's made a lot of money. You can make money as a promoter. Why not do something legit? But no, now we have to be subject to watching him box. You know, and I, I Frank Shamrock said something that was interesting that I think kind of falls along these lines, and I think it's turned out to be true. He said. Uh, Guys who do this for cheap or guys who just do this just to do it, they're ruining it for guys like me, guys guys that are elite-level athletes. Because the UFC is just going to use them eventually. Over time, they're just going to use those guys. They don't need us. If they can get people to watch these guys that will fight for very little money, that's who they're going to use. And I think that's turned out to be true, you know. Like on the Contender Series now, almost everybody gets a contract every every Tuesday or when that, when they have it. You know, that's what they're doing. So it, the, the that's what I'm kind of talking have, about. They still have John Jones. They still have you know. Yeah, the they have a few. Like that. So they have the elite taken care of, and that's something that has happened post Frank Shamrock. So I understand Frank's point because. You know, I, I I think Frank was probably getting about thirty thousand a fight, and I was considered elite pay. You know, I'm guessing, but Frank was never a guy that you know they were like, well, here's half a million, and then you know here's another fifty thousand on top of the bonus and those. Like he didn't exist in those days. So Frank is exactly what I was talking about that effect that Canelo at least already got paid. Yeah, Frank never got paid. And Frank was the best of the best when he was at, at the top of his game. What I'm saying is the early days of MMA, a guy like Ben Davis is in the community. I don't think people would have found him to be funny. No, no, I think, you know, again, there's been so much dues paying as far as, you know, like I said, Frank Shamrock paid dues for all of us because you know, I, I liken the development of the sport to 
watching an Olympic swimming uh, match from above, where you you know you and you consider each lane is a factor, you know relationship with the press. Can you get a TV deal? Are the athletes coming along? Is you know everything. How's the train? Is you know and they move at different rates. And the talent of the fighters was far, far above the amount of money that they were making for a long time. And at some point, you could argue that that's still going on. Especially when you consider a piece of the pie, and especially when you can take away maybe the UFC's top paid five or ten guys, and everybody else on the roster is still very drastically underpaid. But at the very least, they're not in Frank Shamrock's boat anymore. The elite guys are getting paid. Frank, nowadays, if he had maintained his dominance in the middleweight division, you know, if, if he had popped up, you know, 20 years later or whatever it is, and he was kingpin there, yeah, Adesanya made money. I, I read, I saw rather a video clip of Chael Sonnen, another middleweight, that they asked him about his biggest payday, and he said $8.8 million to fight Anderson Silva. So, you know, you could add up all Frank's fights together, multiply it by 10, and you're not going to get to $8.8 million. Mm -hmm. So if he was doing it now, Frank would be okay because of the talent he had. But at that point, the development of the sport, the fighters were way ahead of it, you know. And they deserve more money. But that's why, for example, the lawsuit, yeah, there's limitations according to my understanding that, you know, they can't go back beyond four years from the day you file it and stuff. So those guys fighting in the 90s are not part of the lawsuit. You know, but all those guys feel that, that they never got paid for what, you know, I did that and I never got paid for that, you know. Mark Coleman. I was heavyweight champion. I was pound for pound the best guy in the world. I was John Jones in my day. And he doesn't have the money that John has made it, you know, for all his fights for one, you know. So um, it's a point in time with Frank. He has a point, but the UFC's done things to, you know, make some of that more palatable for distribution. But I mean, what I'm saying is, in the early days, there was more kind of like an ownership of the sport. And if you're going to come in here and try and make a mockery, if you're in our community and you're going to try and make a mockery of what we're doing, guys didn't take kindly to that. Yeah, no, I could tell, for example, like, you know, I would never have booked anything like this. Not ever. And, you know, like I said, you know, if if the UFC were purely sport, then Edgar would have fought and not McGregor. And you've got a whole different path and stuff. And McGregor may not have risen to the top because he wouldn't have gotten the, the opportunity or the spot. The other athletes would have that. But because money was involved, everybody's like, well, we're doing it for money. And it's okay. But it's not okay. Frankie Edgar is not okay with it. Even if he speaks the company line, you know, I'll tell you, John Fitch is one of the leaders of the lawsuit. He wasn't okay with it. He got his title shot. St. Pierre beat him. But he did take St. Pierre five rounds. And if I recall correctly, and he was the number one contender for a long time after that, never got a rematch. People skipping over him and skipping over him. Like, that's what the base of the lawsuit is. There's no sport in this. So anytime that money starts to be come into it, you know. No, I'm talking about Ben Davis here. What I'm saying yeah. is in the early years of Ben Davis, if you were in the community and you're going out and making a fool out of yourself like that, guys, you know, like I said, in the 90s, they would they would have taken that stuff personal. Yeah, I don't do boxing, you know, so like a Ben Davis, there's there's only one or two things that would have happened. I, I would have never booked it or I would have put him in with like Aaron or Henry, like one of my best guys at the time and told him to, you know, put him to sleep and get him out of here as fast as possible. 
And I know he's been put to sleep and he keeps coming back and stuff like that. I said, I, I don't do boxing, so it would have had to be MMA, so it would be different. But people would be humiliated. And you know, the fighters would very much take that, as you said, that the honor of the sport on. So, yeah, I think the safest way is to avoid avoid giving it any attention. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was trying to explain to people. My mentality is not the same as the mentality today, where, where you got some people, not really a lot. I didn't take a lot of heat of it. A couple of MMA journalists, I don't even know who they are, kind of gave me some flack. But, yeah, I mean, my mentality came from the 90s, you know, when I was around the sport. And people were very protective of the sport then. And if you tried to make a fool out of the fighters, if you were in the community and making a fool out of yourself even, you're in the community. So you're one of us. They took that personal, you know? I, I think there's a piece of that. I, I, but I think, I think the problem is, no matter at what point in time in the history of this, you know, a non-fighter participating in it is dangerous and stupid. It's not entertaining. It's not, you know, something that should be generating money or like in, in you know, views in any way because it's almost, it's dangerous, you know? So I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like even, even Tyson Fury and Ngannou. Ngannou well, at least Ngannou is going to be highly trained in great shape. You know, that's yep. totally different than some guy who's not even training for it, thinks it's a joke. You're right. It is totally yeah. different. But that's why I present that to you, because despite that, Nganu Fury should never have been uh, should never have been uh, sanctioned. That would be like no, me no. going in to fight Tyson Fury. No, no because yeah. you're not in great shape. <laughs> yeah, it would be insane. I mean, I'm not going to train. I'll just go in there and fight Tyson Fury and laughing about it when he kills me. Yeah, no, no, no. Ngannou and him shouldn't be fighting under Queensberry rules until, you know, if, if it was real. But these crossover matches are now accepted. And Ngannou shows up, and they know they'll be able to sell it. And Fury has done everything he can to sell it. And Fury wants the payday. So the Boxing Commission doesn't do their job. The Boxing Commission should go, yeah, I know what you're going to monetize on this. But I'm sorry to say that I can't sanction this fight in any way, shape, or form with the heavyweight champion of the world against the guy with no fights and no experience. Just isn't going to happen on my watch. So they go to Saudi Arabia to do it. But still, you know what I mean? That's the problem is, is the, the in Ngannou's case, Ngannou's going to actually be a threat because of what he brings to the table. Right. Despite that, this match shouldn't be made. Right. That's not what this is all about. But, you know. But at least he's somewhat of a threat. He has power. He'll be in shape. He'll train yeah. seriously for the fight. That's completely different. And they make they make enough money here. Again, the, 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 so Ngannou, I think, is getting $20 million or something like that. Fury is going to make a lot of money for this. Yeah. You know? And the problem there is, is that again that pie is that's divided up and chopped up and who knows you know i saw a lot of people on that stage frank war and bob aram no pfl people they what we are sure of is that the pfl would not get a bite they forgot that that same exec that forgot to do the feed to the states guess what he was in charge of getting uh people to the pfl press you know the pfl presence at the press conference in saudi arabia where that didn't happen either you should volunteer to help the PFL at this point. I, you know, I'm if they wanted to call me and let me know a little bit of, of what's going on or show me some direction, I'd be glad to consult. But because every time I've seen them in the news since three days after the Ngannou signing, I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for another shoe to drop, including, you know, something impressive. They, they signed a French kickboxer. Okay, they had no follow to Ngana. They've done nothing but look bad since then. They actually announced at some point, you know, in all this time that they were about to announce the opponent. And then they never did. 
We still don't know when he's going to be in the PFL cage. We still did. We I see nobody on the PFL's roster unless they think they're going to try to pull off getting Tyson Fury in a cage, which I don't think they're going to be able to do. So they don't really they they come out in public and don't deliver. And here again this weekend is a paper, you know, a show that they're not delivering to the American public. So I, I you know, the, the here's the here's the consulting. You can have this one for free. Call Rumble. You know, have Don Davis, you know, go Don Davis at gmail.com. You know, PFL 2027 World Conquer could be the the password. And then you can use that email to open up a YouTube channel. Or to open up a Rumble channel. Probably Rumble. Dana might block them since he has his power slap on. Slapstick yeah, project you know, on, on Rumble. And and that is a maybe a this may be a good way to I I think that you know when I say the PFL and the UFC are not in the same stratosphere, let's just look at ratings. And I think you just hit it on the head. I, I bet you the PFL ratings are more comparable to the power slap ratings than the real UFC. That's how many people see and care about it. And, you know, that's not good. That's not good because they've been, you know, making noise about what they're going to do for six months and they've done very little. Even Dana White could get power slap streamed, although he failed to get it on pay-per-view, which he said he would do. Yeah, you know, I... The power slap, whatever it was, it was, I don't, you know, Dana was passionate about it for a minute, but I don't think, you know, it was an all eggs in one basket type of, like the PFL is, this is the, the league that they're bringing us to compete at the highest level of the sport. And Dana Bones, the other thing, it's like, man, people in bars react to it, chicks, you know, people go down. People are left like, whoa, that's what he was looking at. So he backed power slap. Big mistake, that's fine. But he's still at UFC. He's got a UFC stock, money coming in every show. Not worried about it. The PFL only presents the PFL, and they're dropping the ball like power slap. It's embarrassing. Yeah, that's it. I know we've talked about it a lot, but it's like they, they continue to shock us. You know, who needs to understand that you need to distribute your fight shows every way possible? Every way possible. Now you tell me in any way you can get in front of people, you know, open a YouTube channel and stream it on YouTube. Give it away for free, but don't tell people can't see it. Just the worst publicity, public relations move, you know, out there. Takes us back to like 1910, where it's like, uh, you know, Jack Johnson's fighting in Australia, and we get to read about it in the paper. Or, or the early Abu Dhabis, you know. Yeah. But Here I thought that was cool because it made it mysterious. Like, you had to be there to see it. If you weren't there, you couldn't see it. Yeah. But, you know, again, old heads like us are used to that. Nowadays, people are not used to that, which makes it even more aggravating. You know, how can you tell a modern 21st century, 2023 audience, we can't show it to you? It, it's, it's, it's beyond comprehension in terms of, are, are they trying to submarine themselves in terms of respect? I don't find Abu Dhabi as interesting now. If, if it was still an, an event that was held in Abu Dhabi and only the Sheikh went and a few people like you and, you know, uh, Raphael well, Tori and, yeah. you know, people like, yeah, it would be more mysterious. You know, we'll let you know who won and you can watch it in a week or two, but you can't watch it live. You know, the Abu Dhabi's changed over the years, but it's undergone a very similar process to the UFC, yeah. where you know you have Gordon Ryan and, and you got a couple of guys that kind of stand out. But 
at the end of the day, everybody's qualified and, and has points and things from across the board. And it's just become a lot more homo homogenized. Yeah. You know, there's not as many big names. The, the first few Abu Dhabis, probably, you know, the first two American events were 2005, 2007. You know, 2003 in Brazil. Those were the last where I think it was invitational also. Yeah. You know, so you were going to have a cross-section of MMA guys and the best grapplers and things. You know, guys with good Abu Dhabi experience and records where they're actually valuing what the guy did before. Um, now it's all qualifiers or the majority are qualifiers. So the, the sports advanced by light years, but it has that same feel of the UFC where everybody's more cookie cutter. Yeah. So so be it. Those days where, you know, Mark Kerr, no matter what happens, John Jones isn't going to go do Abu Dhabi. I think invite only is cooler. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the guy, Sheik Noon, who's the, the sponsor of it, and I know his older brother, um, is also respectfully cited. Um, you know, Sheikh Taknun is like the finance ministry of the country now, mm -hmm. which means his older brother would have an even more senior position. So they have no time for this. You know what I mean? They they love that it's going on and the name and the, and the lift the country gets internationally from it and that they did that. And it also feeds their passion for jujitsu. But they're worried about other things now. So that in formulation of the, uh, you know, that formulation. I, and I heard actually that the first year, a friend of the Sheik paid for everything, kind of as a birthday present to us. Says, you want to throw a tournament, I'll pay for it. You know, among friends that are all very rich, you know. But um, so the Sheiks, you know, put their money into it from the second year on and things. But now... The money's paid. They don't come out of pocket, I don't think, for the prizes, maybe. But I think all that can be generated through sponsors at this point. And I think that once it became that, they were going to lose some interest, you know. So, so be it. Well, Miguel, I, you know, I think it's a great thing. So, Alan, and I always want to let you kind of close on your, the uh, Dog Rescue Project, Wet Nose Project. I, I'll, I'm going to try sending some video. I got two new dogs that we're, we took in and are taking care of, Max and Luto, and uh, they're big, kind of pit bull, kind of uh, not purebreds, but they're big, but they're good dogs. They're not aggressive like the other ones and stuff. So um, they're on my property now. And we're, you know, adjusting them to the rest of the pack and things. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Their owner. Uh, you know, God bless him. He's a he's a retired guy from California, and I kid you not, he's seventy years old and had had a hip replacement and he fell. And uh, I kid you not, he is the size of Tim Sylvia. He's huge, so he was like on the floor, and I'm like, man, I'm calling an ambulance. I'm not gonna be able to pick you up. And uh, yeah, he went down hard, and he's gonna be in the hospital for at least a few three weeks and so. So uh, we're just watching over his dogs and hopefully he comes back and, you know, if he's not able to care for him, then I'm, we're going to be stuck with him. So that's the way the ball bounces on on those types of things. If not, the animals would be in trouble, but we're caring for him. And they're good dogs. Yes, and uh, everyone watching this, you can find, uh, you know, the GoFundMe that will be in the show notes where you can uh, support this project that Miguel's uh yeah, dog yep. rescue. Anything's appreciated. We would love, uh, you know, to have good news and be like, yeah, we don't need any money. Everything's fine. But unfortunately, it, you know, every day is a new emergency kind of thing. And, you, you know, um, any support is appreciated and it goes pretty directly to, you know, keep floating the, the project, the house. Um, not the one I'm here in. This is a second location, but the house has, you know, 70 pets now, so it would be considered a small rescue. There's, you know, ones across the world with thousands and stuff. But, um, you know, we, we can't do more without help, so you let us know.
Well, as always, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking the time. It's always great to talk to you and catch up on some of these stories and, you know, doing these episodes. People watching this, I appreciate it. And like I said, uh, please support the Whitnose Project, what Miguel's doing with the dog rescue in Costa Rica. And until next time, everybody take care. So as always, I want to thank people for taking time to listen to these episodes. And uh, please check out my other uh, projects, which is my YouTube channel, uh, Todd Atkins Show. And uh, that's where you can hear these episodes kind of before I put them out on audio. They usually take a while to get to the audio. I usually put out several at a time. But the YouTube channel is where you can catch them like right away because that's where I upload them first. And I also have a merch store which I'll put in the show notes at fourth wall. So if you look it up, it's Todd Atkinshow shop.fourthwall.com and you can order merchandise there. I, I can pretty much make almost anything they allow me to make there. So really cool. Um, they invited me to start making merch there. So it's cool to be able to do something like that. And if any of you guys want to check it out, and as always, if you, if you like the show, if you appreciate it, just, uh, share with somebody else and uh i just appreciate people taking time to listen to these episodes and you know for you guys to sacrifice your time i don't take it for granted i appreciate a great deal and uh i just can't thank you enough till next time take care